If you have been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we have been in the book of Ephesians. I'll be honest with you this morning, we are going to take a quick detour out of Ephesians this morning. We're going to be in 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. I I want us to take just a minute though, and I want to talk about some things that have already been talked about the past couple of weeks, because uh, whether you realize it or not, Ephesians, written to the church or churches in Ephesus, Uh, anybody got any idea where 1 John was written to? church or churches in Ephesus. So um, I hope that this morning as we walk through 1 John, uh, we will get an opportunity to see, man, some of the same truths that that Paul is proclaiming to uh, Ephesus in Ephesians proclaimed through 1 John. But I also want to be honest with you. Um, Chad talked about two weeks ago specifically, talked to us a little bit about the structure of Ephesians, right? And what did he say? The first half was about, anybody remember? What God has done for us. And so as we, as we walk through the first half of Ephesians, he is walking us through the things that God has done for us. And then the second half is about what? What do we do about it? Right? And so, so it's got this like kind of linear, like from point A to point B type thing, right? My engineer brain loves that. I really love to go from point A to point B in a straight line as quickly as I can get there. That is a beautiful thing. It is efficient and I love it. Let me tell you what First John is not. It is not that. It is, it is not written the same way at all, okay? When we read 1 John, you see this declaration made, and then you see these things that we're to do, and then all of a sudden we get back to another declaration, and then kind of, it sounds like you almost repeated what you said again, and then we go back to a declaration, and then you said the same thing, but you just said it a little different, and it's this like, it's like, it feels like we're just doing this. And don't get me wrong, we go from point A to point B, and there is truth declared, but it is not the way I would have wrote it. And it's not the way Paul would have wrote it. But what's beautiful is the truth of the fact that a God without Jesus as the start, the middle, and the end, we don't get it if that's not how we view the gospel. That truth is still declared in 1 John, just like it is in Ephesians. And so it's a beautiful thing to see these two guys that write way differently still declare truth that I think, ah, man, when we lay them side by side, we are blown away at how... God could tie these things together in such a way with two people that, that communicate way differently and yet the gospel that Jesus is the way. It's, it, it, it's so neat. So this morning, we're going to spend our time in 1 John chapter 2. And like I said, it's not Ephesians, but I really hope that it doesn't feel like that much of a detour. I hope that it feels like it is additive to what we've got. The other thing that we're going to do, a little bit of time in the gospel of John. The gospel of John written by John. 1 John written by John. Oh my goodness, it's almost like... They both are written by the same person. I want to do that this morning, and I'm going to tell you up front why we're doing it. Because here's the deal. As you read 1 John, man, what you see, especially if you lay it side by side with the Gospel of John, specifically some of the verses we're going to look at this morning, 1 John is written out of the overflow of what Jesus had told John and the other disciples almost directly, especially in the moments up before um, Jesus was to go to the cross. I mean, the words that John uses are, are like almost the exact same at some spots. And literally even the terms that he would use to like call to them are the same terms. And so it is a beautiful picture to get to see John like pouring his heart out to the church at Ephesus. And it is obviously just an overflow of what Jesus had done for him. And so I hope this morning that as we walk through uh, part of the, the second chapter of 1 John and then we jump over into the gospel and we come back to 1 John, I hope that where we get is we understand that 1 John, 
Ephesians, the rest of the New Testament, even the Old Testament, is this declaration that Jesus is the reason. He is the way. He is the hope of the whole world. I hope that we get there this morning, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. So if you will, follow along with me. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Verse 3, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet... I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. God, we come to you this morning and as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. I pray that you would show us, I pray that you would show us Jesus. I pray that you would show us his sacrifice. I pray that you would reveal to us like the love that was demonstrated on the cross. But I pray that you would also call us to a place where we would love one another, where we would love our brothers and sisters and do it well. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to walk like Jesus walked. As we open up 1 John, number one, I'm going to skip verses one and two and I'm going to come back to it at the end. And I think I've got every right to do that because John, as he writes 1 John, just keeps doing this anyway. He keeps getting in these circular patterns. And so I want, to, I want to skip over it and I want to come back to it. And I hope you'll see why. But here's where I want to start. Verse three, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. This seems pretty straightforward, but again, this, this pattern of how John is going to talk is, is a carryover. He's already done it in chapter 1. But John sets out these two things that he's going to contrast. One of them is light and one of them is dark. One of them is good and one of them is evil. One of them is the truth and one of them are lies. And he continues to like compare and contrast these two things. And, and the one thing that he always sets on the light side is Jesus And what Jesus has said. And the thing that always is the darkness is the absence of Jesus. Like it's obvious. Whenever you read through all of 1 John. And and I'm going to challenge you to something. Chad challenged uh, challenged us to this a couple of weeks ago. And if you haven't went and read all of Ephesians all at once, go do that. If you've already done that, now I want you to go read 1 John as a whole. Because here's the deal. I'm going to pick out this passage. But really it all ties in and is a beautiful letter written. And when you read it as such... There's so much more to glean. But this morning, we don't have time to do that because you would be here till dinner, probably longer. But here's what I want you to realize. This pattern of the compare and contrast of light and dark and good and bad and truth and lies is is found throughout. But this initial statement, this is how we know that we know him, Jesus, if we keep his commands. Seems pretty straightforward, right? If I know Jesus, if I believe he is who he said he was, what am I going to do? I'm going to follow his commands. 
that carries over into other areas of our life. If we believe something is true, what should we do with it? We should do it, right? And so this statement is not groundbreaking or earth shattering. It just, it just kind of makes sense. Verse five, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So this is just this declaration of, hey, if you believe Jesus, if you know him, you should walk like he walked. And, and, and this is something that we can go, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But I also hope there's a little bit of tension here. Does anybody feel the tension in this verse? I have a question. Does anybody in the room sometimes struggle to walk like Jesus walked? Okay, good. I heard those. That's good. That's, I'm not the only one. That makes me feel a little bit better. Yet, there's a little bit of tension here. Because if I'm honest with myself, that is not me some days, some weeks, maybe some months. I don't always look like, I don't always walk around like Jesus walked around. And, and the weight of that sometimes is heavy and there is tension. And sometimes it's hard to wrestle and reconcile. But here's what I want you to know. Number one, we're going to come back to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I hope that you'll see why John can say this. But I also hope there is a little bit of this tension from now until the day that you die if you're a believer in Jesus. Because there, also, there, 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 there should be this like weight of, hey, I want to do what Jesus tells me to do because I believe him when he says that it's best. And I also want you to be honest with yourself that you are broken, fallen, messed up, and in need of a Jesus. And so there ought to always be this little bit of tension. I don't want this to be a tension that, that, that would cause us to just be, fall to the sidelines and do nothing. But I do hope there is a tension because I hope it drives you to a place where you would want to pursue Jesus and continue to work to be more like him. Verse seven, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Is anybody confused? Okay, well, I was. Let me read it again. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command. Okay, so it's not a new command. Thank you for clarifying, John. But an old command that you have had from the beginning. So it's not new, it's old. Good, I'm, that's clear. I don't know why you felt like you had to tell me that, but I get it. The old command is the word you have heard. Okay, yeah, if it's old, then I've heard it before, right? Everybody good with that? So verse eight, yet I'm writing you a new command. All right, John, what are you doing here, brother? You have confused me. This is not a new command, it's an old command. Yet I'm writing you a new command. You've not even told us what the command is and you've told us it's not new, it's old, and now you've told us it's new again. What is going on? Okay, so here's what I want to do. Let's figure out what the command is and then we'll try to figure out why in the world he's struggling with whether this is new or old or where we're even at in this, right? So here we go. Verse nine. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So what is the command that is being talked about here? Love your brother or your sister. Everybody good with that, right? The light means I'm doing what? If I'm walking in the light, what am I doing? I'm loving my brother or sister. If I'm walking in the darkness, what am I doing? I'm not loving my brother or my sister. I'm not loving my neighbor. Everybody good with that? 
Is that a new command? No, it feels really old. Anybody ever heard that before and maybe not even in the New Testament? All right, well, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to tell you where. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 19. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn away back there. It'll take you too long. Verse 17. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is not new. Like, love one another is not a new command that we're just now hearing from John. You didn't make something up. Come on, John. This is old. In fact, let's even go. So Leviticus, still in chapter 19, but verse 33, it's even a step further, but, but kind of a continuation. When an alien resides with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself. So it's taken even a step further all the way back in Leviticus. And it says it's not just your brother, or your sister, or your neighbor that you're to love. You're to love the alien. The one that's foreign to you. That you haven't like, gotten time to build a relationship with. So this command is not a new command. So what is John dealing with here that he has to say, this is not a new command I write you, but an old command. You're right, John. Yet I write you a new command. Why would he say this? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to turn over to the gospel of John chapter 13. I hope we can answer that this morning. Before we read, I'm going to be reading verses 31 through 35. So you can be turning there. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to get a little bit of context of what's going on in John chapter 13. I hope it will help paint this picture even better. John chapter 13. We read part of John chapter 13 this morning about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Context for that, he was literally in the upper room with the disciples and they were about to celebrate Passover together. And Jesus stops before they ever even start the Passover feast. And he actually says, hey, I'm going to wash your feet. If you've ever studied this, you know this was a weird thing. And we read it and and it didn't make sense. And when Jesus explains it, he's like, hey, look, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to wash your feet, even though I'm the master and you are not. But he humbles himself, becoming a servant, even when it made no sense for him to do so. And context, right? Feet were disgusting, right? They're disgusting today, but it was worse then. They weren't walking around in Jordans. They weren't walking around in penny loafers. They weren't walking around in boots. What were they walking around in? Jesus sandals, right? Everybody knows them. And and the roads, were they paved? No. So what are they doing? They're walking around on dirt roads. It might have rained yesterday, so it might have been muddy for all you know. And guess what? Even when they got to the house they were celebrating, did they have the water spigot that they could turn on and... Anybody done that? We went to the beach yesterday, and when we got home, what did we do? Turn on the spigot. Wash your feet off before you walk in my house. You are crazy, child. Right? They didn't have that. In fact, it would have been a hike to go get the water from the well so they could bring it back. They're not going to waste it sitting here washing their feet off just so they could walk inside. The feet were disgusting. Yet Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. What happens after that? If you just look at the headings in John chapter 13... Jesus explains the meaning of the foot washing. And then Jesus says what? Judas is going to betray me. He doesn't say the name Judas to them. He kind of keeps it a secret. But John knows and probably Peter knows who it is, at least by the time they get done. But it's kind of confusing to everybody what he's actually saying. But we get to look in retrospect and see uh, Judas was going to go betray Jesus. 
So Jesus declares that, and then this passage comes right after that. And right after this passage we're going to read, we see Jesus actually say, what? Peter is going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow. And if, you, if, you, if you've spent time here, we also know he's about to implement the, the Passover. Judas is going to betray, and then what's going to happen? Jesus is going to be taken into custody. We are in the final moments leading up to Jesus being crucified on the cross. And so as you can imagine, like there's a lot written right here just in these final hours right before Jesus is crucified. And you can imagine why. If you are one of the 12 disciples and Jesus is saying all these things and he's doing all these weird things and he's washing our feet and he's making these declarations and then we're sitting here and we're going through the Passover meal and what's he gonna do? He's gonna mess the Passover meal up. Like there's a script. You gotta go by the script, Jesus. And what does he do? He doesn't go by the script. What does he give us out of that? He gives us communion. And so he's walking through the Passover meal and then he stops at some point. He tells us some of these things, but then he says what? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Like think about the fact that all of these guys would have had a a Jewish like understanding of you can't do that. And Jesus changed the game and said things that, uh, what is actually happening right here? And the next day, Jesus was going to hang on the cross. And so you can imagine these guys, when they look back at that moment, are just blown away. And when they think back to the things that Jesus was saying and leading up to that moment, it's going to stick out in their head. And it's going to, man, that's going to stick out even more than a lot of the other things that he's done at that point because of the just emotional craziness that's going to happen the next day as they have to watch Jesus hang on the cross. Okay, so now, we've done all of that. I want to read verse 31 through 35. When he had left, Jesus said, when he had left, when Judas had left. So Judas has just walked out of the room and Jesus has already said, that guy's going to betray me and he knows it. Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I'm with you a little while longer. Children, depending on which version you read, it actually reads little children. Does anybody remember how 1 John chapter 2 starts? Little children. Like John literally, as he writes 1 John, literally uses the same term of endearment to like call out to these people that he's trying to love on and care for. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 34. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, guys, did Jesus mess this up too? This is not a new commandment. Love one another is, I can go to Leviticus at the earliest, and really you can go before that, but that's just one of the clear cut, like here it is right in front of your face times when it says like, love your neighbor, love your brother. So why is this different? Why can Jesus say to us here, this is a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Here's what I want to do. I want you really quick, we're we're shifting gears just slightly. I want you to... um, in your head. You don't have to actually write it down, but if you want to write it down, it's fine. I want you to start thinking about a list of all the times that you have been hurt. Okay? 
And then in a column next to that for my spreadsheet people, I want you to label. Okay? You got the list. All right. Think about all the people that you can blame. Right? Here we go. Next, I want another, another set of things I want you to think about. The times when you have been disappointed. And I want a column next to that. And I want person responsible. Okay? You got a lot of names in your head, probably. Now I want another one. The person that put you in a bad spot got you in trouble. Column. All the times you've been in trouble. I don't care if it's you just made your wife upset or, I don't know, spent a night in jail. We'll go all the whole spectrum. And then I want you to do person responsible, right? There's probably multiple names, but here's what I want to ask you. Here's what I want to ask you. Who shows up in the person responsible category most? It's me, in case you're curious. Yeah, if we're honest, that's exactly right. So here's my question. When we look back to Leviticus chapter 19, when it says love your neighbor as yourself, how difficult does that sound? What sounds really hard? Like I don't even do a good job of loving my wife as well as I love myself a lot of days. I think way more about me and what I need and want and, and, and could really use right now than I do my wife. Like, I, I, I can't, that command seems unattainable, okay? But then I sit here and I think about how well do I really love myself? I don't do a good job of that at all. So here's the question. When we look to the command in Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself, can we attain that? No. Like, I'm too selfish to actually attain that a lot of the time. I don't want to give a percentage. <laughs> Because that would hurt too bad, right? But even if I was to do that, how good of a job would I be doing of loving those around me? Not really that great. It's just really not that good. Because even at times where I'm working on myself, I'm not doing a very good job. Like there are so many times when I tell myself, when I would even say to some of you, hey, you shouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. That's not what's best for you. And then I turn around and do that to my own self. Look, I can't even, I can't even love myself well. And so in Leviticus, when it tells us to love your neighbor as yourself, yeah, that's a, that's a really hard thing. But even if I was to do that extremely, extremely, extremely well, it wouldn't really look like that good of love. So John chapter 13, verse 34. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Let me tell you something. This is a brand new command. Because even if I was to love you as myself, it pales in comparison to the way that Jesus loved us. it's, It's not even in the same universe. And so when we sit here and we read 1 John and, and John goes, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. Well, it is an old command. Like love one another is not new. But yet... I am writing you a new command that is true in who? In him, in Jesus, and in you. John is calling us to something higher because Jesus had called him to something higher. 
And, and then we sit here and we think about John chapter 13 in the context of what I already kind of gave you a lead into. Jesus had told them this and in less than 24 hours later, where is he going to be? He's going to be on the cross. As John writes 1 John to this church in Ephesus and he tells them, you are to love one another. This is a new command. He is thinking to the fact that Jesus has said, you are to love one another as I have loved you. And then he thinks about what Jesus did for him. The tension that is generated in, in this statement as, it, as, as we sit here and read and it says, hey, if you are in the light, then you are to love your brother and sister. And then I think about how impossible it sounds to love my neighbor as myself. But then I think about how impossible it sounds to actually love my neighbor or love my brother or sister like Jesus loved me. I'm feeling inadequate here, to be completely honest with you. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. Like, I'm writing this to you so that you can pursue Jesus and look more and more and more and more like Jesus. I, I want you to not sin. I'm writing you these things so that you won't sin. But... If you do, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also those of the whole world. Brother, sister in the room, if you are a believer, I hope and pray that like these calls that first John has for us of like, hey, we're to walk like Jesus walked. We're to love one another just as Jesus loved us. I hope that it creates tension in you. But here's what I hope. I hope and pray that you are reminded of first John chapter two, verses one and two. I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, an advocate, someone who would speak on our behalf, who, who would say, I, I, I want to voice my opinion for them. I want to say I, 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 I'm for them. I am for what they deserve. It's really interesting because it says I, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Here's the interesting part. I can't find anywhere else in the New Testament where Jesus is given the title the righteous one except for right here. It's not a normal thing that they would have said. So to me, it has to be important. So why is it important? Because here's the deal. When Jesus is standing before the Father advocating on our behalf, is he advocating our righteousness? No. The only way that this is good news and this is hopeful and that I can have rest and peace and not fear is if Jesus Christ, our advocate with the Father, is advocating his righteousness on our behalf. And so here's the deal. I do not want you to fear. I do not want you to be stuck in the weight of this tension that we sit here and see that we are called to walk like Jesus walks and I just know I can't do it. Well, you're right. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't even get, you, you can't even start. But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so as John sits here and writes 1 John, he thinks back to the night that they would have sat and celebrated the Passover feast. And he thinks about when Jesus would have said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins because we can't live up. 
So look, if you're in the room and you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then here's what I'm going to tell you. Jesus did this even while sitting in the room with these disciples. Peter's already backmouthed him or badmouthed him a couple of times in the room and told him, no, you can't do that. And Peter's denied him three times and yet he's still going to go hang on the cross for Peter. Judas just betrayed him completely. Like, the, the things that were done to Jesus while he was here, it doesn't make any sense. And the people that he chose to say, I'm going to die on your behalf, it doesn't make any sense. And so if you've never believed in Jesus, let me just tell you, he came, he lived a perfect, righteous, holy, set-apart life, even while having to deal with all of that didn't utter a bad word, didn't think a bad thought about any of those people, and then chose, he didn't, he didn't get trapped into going to the cross. He chose to go to the cross and die on their behalf so that he could be the atoning sacrifice so that if you would trust and believe in him, you could stand before a holy God seen as righteous and clean and share as children of God, sharing that inheritance. And so I, I would just say to you, if you've never trusted in Jesus he has given us the gift that we would never deserve. And he says, trust in me. If you're a believer in the room, here's my question for you. John chapter 13. I'm just going to read it. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. It doesn't stop there. Verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how he says that the world would know that we are his disciples, is if we love one another. So my question is, how are you loving one another this week? We're in a lot of different contexts and a lot of different spots and a lot of different groups and cliques and things and praise the Lord for that. How are you loving one another this week? Let's pray and we'll continue to worship. God, I am so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful that and you sent Jesus. He came, lived a perfect life. He chose to allow Judas to betray. He chose to allow Peter to, to, to deny. He chose to allow all these different people to, to wrong him in so many ways. Lord, no different than me today. And yet he still chose to go to the cross. And so God, as we read 1 John chapter 2 and we, we hear, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you would not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Lord, I am so thankful that Jesus is the righteous one. I am so thankful that, man, his sacrifice is the atoning sacrifice for my sins. And I can have confidence. I don't have to fear. I know that because of what Jesus did, I have confidence and that I get to share in the inheritance, in, in, in your inheritance. Lord, we rejoice in that. Lord, I pray this morning that as we walk out of these doors, as we continue to worship, as we like just interact with one another, Lord, I pray that we would, we would believe it valuable and we would, we would work at loving one another well. God, you've given us a gift in, in community and in the church. And one of the key ways that you tell us to interact is to love one another. God, make that mean much to us. Thank you for Jesus.